The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Squawkbox. Here are your headlines this morning. Global equity markets continue to pull back in the last days of 2022 with U.S. majors on pace for their worst year since 2008. This comes as investors assess the implications of China's reopening. And several countries, including the United States as well as Italy, impose COVID testing requirements for travelers arriving from China after 50% of passengers on two flights to Milan test positive. Exxon takes the EU to court over its windfall tax rules as energy companies look to push back against levies following the surge in energy prices. And Apple shares hit a new 52-week low, falling below a key 129 technical level, increasing investor fears the tech route will spread deeper into broader markets. Well, good morning, everybody, and a warm welcome to Squawk Box at Airbnb. Wonderful to be yeah, around well, with you. Merry Christmas. Hope you had a good one. You've decided to join us on uh, <laughs> uh, holding the fort down during this time. Um, welcome back. I hope you had a good festive uh, time you. as well then. Yeah, it was wonderful. It was relaxing. Watched a lot of good and bad movies, <laughs> like I assume the rest as, of us. As usual, I suppose, for this time, right? <laughs> Certainly hasn't been uh, the most uh, uh, interesting time when it comes to movies. It's pretty much the same old, same old, really, right? It definitely is. My favorite of the bunch that I watched yeah. was Avatar. So a little bit of oh, old okay. and hopefully new. Hoping to see the new one this week. Yeah, I haven't, actually haven't watched either. So that's going to be... Airbnb. I, I think we start. have some uh, plans for you this weekend. <laughs> we definitely do. Clearly, <laughs> clearly. Um, well, it's great to be here during this um, this sort of limbo week between Christmas and the New Year. Yeah. Um, and hopefully, we got a good show. Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, we can take a look at markets on that note. Uh, we've got U.S. markets facing a tough day yesterday, slow in terms of volumes, but in terms of the overall trade, it was quite negative. The tech-heavy Nasdaq dropping 1.35%, leading the losses. S&P 500 pulling back as well by about 1.2%. The Dow Jones, the industrial index, also dropping about 1.1%. So light volumes yesterday, again, during this uh, festive period, um, but those those light volumes did lead to losses across the board. From a month-to-date perspective, let's take a look at where U.S. markets stand. A little bit wider. There you have on the board in front of you all three of the majors. Lower on the month, you've got the tech-heavy Nasdaq underperforming for the month of December overall. So yesterday, really reflective of the trend that we've seen recently. The Nasdaq is on track for the worst December ever. S&P 500 looked uh, down about 7% for the month to date. Now, in terms of year-to-date, how U.S. markets uh, have fared over the course of 2022, um, here you have the year-to-date. Again, similar trends, so the heavy selling in tech accelerating in the month of December, but it is reflective, of, of course, of a broader trade that we've seen throughout the year. A combination of factors, which we'll discuss throughout the program today, driving those tech stocks lower. You've got, of course, higher interest rates, but then 
More specifically, increasing competition within the tech space and a, a general maturing of the digital market. Uh, Dow Jones dropping about 9.5% for the year to date overall, and S&P 500 currently down just over 20%. Speaking of U.S. tech, let's take a closer look at the action we saw yesterday. Um, we had a lot of attention on Apple yesterday. We crossing below that 129 mark, down about 3% yesterday. And one of the big questions is whether this sell-off in Apple is um, indicative of broader weakness to come in the broader tech market and possibly the broader market overall. Uh, outside of Apple, we did see a pullback, obviously seeing that underperformance in the NASDAQ, Netflix dropping about 2.6%, Disney dropping about 2.5%, Microsoft, the tech giant, dropping about 1% as well. Let me take you to Treasury markets now. We've also seen a lot of action in uh, Treasury markets of late with yields moving higher. Uh, right now, we are looking at yields lower across most of the curve. The U.S. 30-year note trading around 3.95% uh, out toward the front end of the curve. The two-year note trading with a yield of about 4.3%. Uh, now turning to uh, oil markets, uh, we are looking at uh, Brent and WTI trading marginally lower this morning. We've got uh, Brent around $82 a barrel, WTI around $78 a barrel, and a little bit of a bid for gold this morning. The safe haven asset up two-tenths of a percent to just over 1800 Turning to Asian markets, I think one of the biggest themes that's emerged in the last month has been China and the reopening story there. Markets a little bit unsure as to how to take this reopening in China. Is it a positive to see the Chinese economy getting going again or is it net-net a negative, given the implications of China reopening when immunity is still quite low and the risks that come with the virus spreading in the country? So overnight, we've got the Hang Seng trading down by about 1.1%. Shanghai Composite in the mainland down about four-tenths of a percent. And over in Japan, we're also seeing some losses of about nine-tenths of a percent. Overall, fairly contained moves to the downside, though, given the amount of uncertainty in China. Now, finally, on to European futures. Let's take a look at how Europe is poised to open today. We've got uh, red across the board here, uh, as indicated by these futures at this stage, and U.S. futures. Uh, let's take a look at how Wall Street is poised to open now after the down day yesterday. We are in for a muted and mixed start to U.S. trade, of course, very early hours still. So a lot could change, but we are looking at a little bit of green on the board, a little bit of a bounce back for the Nasdaq after the underperformance that we saw yesterday. All right, let's get into the dollar crosses then and take a look at how that has been faring. We have seen a little bit of weakness uh, of late, particularly in that market uh, for the time being. So we'll get into that picture. But also what has been quite interesting is just how that's fared against the pound. Uh, we had, of course, seen the dollar pound uh, head towards parity at some point. That's what we thought we'd see, of course. Uh, that does follow on from that tumultuous time when it ca uh, came to the UK uh, government and uh, the, uh, the budget that was brought out then. Uh, but things have certainly gotten a lot stronger for the pound. But let's talk about that and all the other ramifications, right? Emma Walls, the head of investment analysis then at Hargreaves Lansdowne. Thank you so much for joining us. A Merry Christmas to you. Christmas Welcome to, you. to the studio. Thank you so much. Let's, let's talk just about that, that pound, that dollar pound number then. I mean, there, there, there has been growth in that in that in that number it has gotten stronger particularly on the pound front um how positive though is a stronger pound particularly for equities i think just to pick up on your point though about how bad september was yeah. we really should pay attention quite how awful that month was i mean uk 
politics was in utter turmoil. So seeing that almost parity was a kind of a very much a black swan event. It wasn't a sort of an example of, of longer term trajectory. I'd say now what we have is a, is a bit more normalised sure. and a much more reflective of actually the underlying economic health of the UK versus somewhere like the US. So, of course, we saw the US be much more protected from the impact of the Russia-Ukraine war because it had much more energy independence versus the UK, where we're very much reliant on that European pipeline for our oil and gas. Mm. So what does that mean for equities? Well, you have a bit of a sort of a dichotomy with the FTSE, don't you? Because 70% of revenues come from overseas. So actually a, a softer pound can be good news, but ultimately you've got to have positive sentiment for the market to do well as, also. And so going into 2023, we're actually very cautious on the FTSE. You know, we are, we are on pretty good levels here at the moment. You know, our sort of all-time high is around 7,800 and we're around 7,500 here. We don't think that is where we're going to end up in 12 months' time. Sure. It, it's, it's, fairly, it's fairly downbeat then, that assessment, right? And in the sense that, yes, having run what, what may look like a little hard now, but is this really just based off economic fundamentals, which, as you said, aren't actually that massive an impact on the, the equity market? Or, or what else kind of drags these valuations a lot more in, in over the next 12 months then? I think it is the spectre of recession, you know, the fact that we have extremely high inflation, the fact that the forecast now for, or for Bank of England base rate, you know, a couple of months ago they were expecting that to sort of peak in the first quarter of next year and start to come down. Actually the yield curve now is saying it stays around 4.5% through the year. You know, higher interest rates do have a negative impact on the majority of the equity market. Not all of them. Some of them, are, you know, benefit from it, like the financials. But, you know, that very much dragging on equity valuations and the fact that it's just going to be so much harder for corporates and consumers. And you need people to be spending money to support the equity market. Yeah. We've seen a lot of action in bond markets over the last week or so. And I think that's been one of the catalysts for the selling we've seen, especially in U.S. tech. What do you think the bond market action is telling us? I think, again, it's expecting inflation and um, a corresponding interest rates to be higher for longer. We have seen a little bit of a separation between emerging markets and developed markets over the last few months, which is quite interesting. So we've seen signs that inflation is peaking in emerging markets. And of course, they started to raise rates much earlier than we did. So you think about Brazil and Chile, you know, they were raising rates in 2021, whereas actually the US and the UK and a lot of other developed markets were slower to do that. So I do think there is potentially a separation of developed markets and, and emerging markets. But certainly, you know, bonds look more attractive than they have done in an extremely long time. You can actually get a, an attractive yield on a bond, whereas for, you know, close to a decade, you couldn't do that. So just the fact that it is much more attractive, that yield is much more attractive, the equity market is much more uncertain, is seeing those shifts. So I guess uh, taking that a step further, would you expect this selling that we're seeing in U.S. tech to continue next year? I think there's going to be a lot of volatility in the U.S. market. You know, tech stocks, all growth stocks, are more frothy. So when you have that backdrop of a less certain economy, you do, do see them sell off. In the same way that when things are going great guns, they're some of the first to go up. You know, lest we forget in the rally after March 2020 with the pandemic, they were some of the biggest gainers. I mean, they were doubling within 12 months. It was extraordinary. So some of this is just a re-rating. But then also, if you look historically, some of these tech stocks actually look quite attractive on historical valuations. So I think over the next 12 months, there will still be quite a lot of volatility within that sector. But longer term, there is potentially some opportunity there. 
Well, speaking of um, tech stocks that may be at more attractive levels now, Apple's been getting a ton of attention over the last two days, dropping below the 52-week low, a key technical level. And there seems to be some question marks around whether this is indicative of further selling and pressure to come in broader markets, or maybe it's an attractive entry point for a stock like Apple. What's your take? I think it's always very difficult to call the exact bottom. So I expect over the next 12 months, there still will be volatility around the price. But if you're looking at a five, 10-year view, if you still believe this is a stock with a great economic moat, with high brand power, which it is, then potentially there is opportunity over the long term. I wanted to get into the interest rate environment just a little bit more. Have these rates, these higher rates, sort of had the desired effect? I say that because, uh, you know, only plus minus 30% of the UK economy, for example, uh, you know, has mortgages, right? That population have mortgages, for example. Um, meaning then the transmission of those higher rates isn't necessarily seen right through uh, the economy and kind of becomes uneven. So would you say that these higher rates have actually been, um, you know, or given the, the, the desired effect, especially in bringing down inflation? It's very difficult to say because so much of the inflation is imported based on oil and gas. So, so much of it is actually beyond the central bank's control. And so what they're doing is they're sort of playing at the margins. I do think that point is interesting about only, you know, it's not the majority of the population who has a mortgage. But don't forget, it's also corporate rates that this has impacted. So it's not just the consumer who feels the pinch when rates are raised. It's also corporates. Can I ask you about China, Um, the other big theme that's really come to the fore over the last month? Um, And it seems as though the jury is still out as to whether we should take the reopening as a positive for markets or a negative. On the positive side, you've got the Chinese economy getting going again, but on the negative side, clearly the risks associated with China reopening are great, given the low immunity there. How is China likely to factor into the whole market narrative in 2023? Yeah, it's very much a case of be careful what you wish for, I think. (laughs) So many people were saying, you know, what we need is is China to reopen. What we need is obviously the awful atrocity of what Russia-Ukraine war to end. But actually now it has opened. The data that sits behind that, as you Mm -hmm. say, on immunity, on the number of people who've been vaccinated, it actually then becomes a much bigger concern. And we've already seen some countries move to say, actually, they won't be accepting kind of tourists and and business travel from China. Ultimately, China is such a large part of the global economy that the the positive impact of being able to do trade, Mm. to be able to have that demand from the Chinese consumer as well, you know, long gone are the days where actually China was the manufacturer and we were the consumer. Actually, it's much more mixed now. So I think overall it's positive for the economy. However, I do expect a bit of a broken record on this one, it to cause much more market volatility. You know, Chinese market and the Hong Kong market will be volatile. What would be the ideal sort of soft landing on that though? I mean, yes, they've reopened and and things aren't necessarily all going to be back to normal immediately. But what would be the best case scenario to to ease the world into understanding that China is now uh, fully open for business, I, I would think? I would still suggest that the first three months, perhaps of next year, aren't going to necessarily be that easy. No, and especially as it's winter, and we do know that infection rates in winter are higher. I think the data is incredibly important. You know, in the UK, we've just taken the decision from the end of the calendar year to not publish daily COVID data anymore. But we're sort of, you know, a year ahead in the opening up. And so I do think the data coming out in China in terms of, you know, illnesses, infections and deaths will be really key for us mm. to build confidence in, in the market. Yeah. Emma, 
appreciate the time. It's been really good having this chat as well, in studio especially. So, so good thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us then. Emma Wall is the Head of Investment Analysis then at Hargreaves Lansdowne. Now coming up on the show, a growing number of countries are tightening restrictions on arrivals from China. That comes as bookings for foreign trips surge. We'll discuss more after the break. And for more on the latest market action, check out the Squawk Box podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Welcome back. Now, countries around the world are tightening restrictions on travelers from China. Authorities in the United States, Japan and Taiwan will now require proof of a negative COVID test, while South Korea is likely to follow suit. Meanwhile, in Europe, Italy will begin testing all arrivals from China after nearly half of passengers on two flights to Milan tested positive. Now, the United Kingdom is also reportedly considering tighter curbs in response to the surge in travel from China. But a government spokesperson has denied the reports, telling our sister channel Sky News there are, quote, no plans to reintroduce testing or other requirements. This China story has certainly been one for the markets here, Juliana, that, um, you know, we've just been speaking about how cautious everybody seems to be. It's really, yes, we want them to open, mm -hmm. but actually, we're not so sure about this. It may slow down the rest of the world in some ways, because if infections then spread mm. to the rest of the world, how much of a slowdown does that take the world back uh, quite extensively at this stage? And I think it's, it's not simply the spread of infection, but the risk that we see a new dangerous variant emerge. Yeah. Because the thing with China is that the population is very um, underexposed to the virus. They have been living under very strict conditions, isolated from the rest of the world for the last two and a half years. So natural immunity is incredibly low. We've talked about all these things so many times ad nauseum uh, across programming here, but it's worth repeating, I think, that natural immunity is incredibly low. The vaccines that they do have are less effective than the ones that we have in the West. And there has been a low uptake among the more vulnerable elderly population in China. So all of that is a perfect breeding ground for a new variant to emerge. And that's, I think, the rationale behind these countries taking action to say we're going to require tests from Chinese travelers because at this point in time, it's unclear whether that new variant will emerge. It was a lot of deja vu, I have to say, looking at the headlines yesterday when the news broke about the yeah. U.S. requiring tests from uh, Chinese travelers. And at this point, it seems as though it's not going to become a bigger issue. Um, but of course, that all depends on what happens uh, with the evolution of the virus itself. Yeah, one thing's for sure, things like manufacturing, things, uh, you know, areas like Foxconn, uh, you know, all of those have been such key stables that, that I think the U.S. have wanted to kind of see open at some stage. Mm. But probably wanted to do it as safely as possible. So I don't think this is a, a, an immediate sort of joy for them because they kind of look at it and go, well, we may still be depressed for quite some time, but 
I guess, for now, still a move in the right direction. Well, that's for sure. I think the rest of the world wants China to get back on track, wants yeah. the economy to get up and running. But the swiftness, swiftness with which President Xi has acted has caused a lot of concern. And I think the reality is, as bad as things are in China right now with COVID, and you talk to people on the ground and they say that it is even worse than what you're reading in the headlines, that this virus is spreading really rapidly across the country. As bad as things are right now, the real test is yet to come. And yeah. that is with the a Chinese New Year coming up. And it takes us right back to winter of 2020 yeah. when everything kicked off. You've got people leaving the cities, going to rural China. The healthcare system is already under pressure and weak in many parts of the country. What happens when all these city dwellers go to rural China and potentially take the virus with them? I think the real test is going to come in February. In consumer spend as well. Can I, I just want to get to to that perhaps is is there a pent up demand from consumers to kind of spend as well? Um, just. With regards to now you have this Chinese New Year, it's usually a high spending time as well for them as it, as it approaches. Do they still feel the desire, the need to actually want to go out as they have in the past? I mean, that has been a, a great growth driver. And I guess overall, it means that this year's growth numbers, despite opening, aren't necessarily going to look too positive either. And we may still see that 1%, 2% figure still being the stable case for most of this year. So a lot of work needing to be done uh, by Xi Jinping to kind of allay investor fears um, and ensure that the market kind of comes back in a way and, and brings a lot of confidence. So, uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of work is going to have to be done here. And I think there's so much caution uh, from the rest of the globe, definitely. You make an interesting point about Chinese consumer spending. And I think, you know, there's a broader question about Chinese behavior and public sentiment. Despite the reopening, are people going to... Uh, go out and resume yeah. normal activities given given the risks that are out there with the virus just because they now can do a lot of things that they haven't been able to do over the last couple of years travel more freely relax quarantine rules relax testing rules um, just because the rules have been relaxed are people going to take advantage of this relaxation given all the concern around the virus spreading just because the rules change doesn't mean behavior changes yeah. so that's going to be interesting to see on that note let's take a look at asian markets and how the equity markets have been reacting to all this news flow out of China and out of the rest of the world in response to what's happening in China. You've got right across the board with fairly contained moves to the downside. The Hang Seng is the underperformer of the bunch, down about 1%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite is down about four-tenths of a percent. And then in the broader region, Nikkei 225 dropping about 1%. On a year-to-date basis, let's take a look at uh, the uh, Asian markets. Similar to what we see stateside, we've got to losses across the board. The Shanghai Composite down about 15% year-to-date. Hang Seng down by about 16%. A little bit more resilience in Japan and Australia. Now, speaking of Japan in a little bit more detail, former Bank of Japan's deputy governor, Hirohita Yamaguchi, is reportedly being touted as a potential successor to the current governor, Hirohiko Kuroda, when his second term ends in April. That's according to local media. The choice could mark a major shift away from years of ultra-loose BOJ policy. Yamaguchi, who has been a vocal critic of Kuroda's stimulus measures, previously said that the central bank should make its framework more flexible and must prepare the ground for rate hikes. So uh, potentially looking at a more hawkish BOJ, should this story um, 
go further? And should this be the basis for what happens from here? A more hawkish BOJ could certainly be a change of pace, given how loose policy has been there for a number of years. Uh, there you have a look at the, the dollar-yen trade. Year-to-date, the yen has been weakening significantly versus the dollar. Again, uh, very uh, different monetary policy. The BOJ has been the uh, sole outlay outlier in many ways from a central banking perspective, keeping policy very accommodative as the rest of the world hikes rates. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.